New recorder seems to be working just fine. Excellent. These tapes have grown more valuable as my memory starts to go. My name is Dr. Emmett Garcia Chalamet. I've been trying to write the last chapter of this series for a little while now, and I can't bring myself to do it. I know they'll still be here when I type the last words, but it's just so hard for me to believe that our story is finally over. I had asked my friends to bring tape recorders with them to document their journeys, since the mass was banished back to wherever it came from. A few colleagues and I have been going through them the past few weeks, checking in with old friends and generally researching what effects the good neighbors have had on our little world. It's been hard, but I am so grateful to have known these people, and I would be remiss if we didn't share their story one last time. Hello, everyone. It's finally time to say farewell to the good neighbors. The great villains have been defeated, and Constance is safe. To cap things off, I have asked everyone to prepare some loose ideas about what everyone has been up to over the past several decades, if that, and how their lives affected the world around them. To keep things feeling connected at the table, I want to make it a point that even though these things are semi-scripted, I want everyone else to feel comfortable interjecting and ask questions or, or make requests so that this final chapter of our story is still a collaboration between us, between us all uh, instead of like a collection of monologues. Does that make sense to everyone? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Fantastic. Uh, a confident start from the good neighbors. <laughs> for, the, for the last show. Uh uh, for the most part, uh, this will largely take the form of narration, but if any of you guys want to have a scene, it can be neatly tucked into one of the tapes provided to Chalamet. Uh, this is the last time we will see these characters. So, I leave the creative decisions uh, about what happens to everyone, NPCs included, mostly up to you. Though no one's ascending to godhood, you pretty much have free reign here, so let's have fun with it. For my friends who are still alive, I ask you, what do you do with the time you have left? And for my friends who are not, I ask, what is your legacy? Now let's get into it, shall we? Does anyone have anything to say before we take this ride? It's been great, <laughs> y'all. This has been so much fun. Yeah, solid, <sighs> a solid six out of 10 experience. Probably wouldn't go back and do it again, but like, I mean, it was worth a chance, worth a try. I love you too. <laughs> Constance is doing well. It's kind of funny, actually. The town has gained something of an occult status, though a little commercialized, like you'd find in Salem, Massachusetts. Quite a few of the venues and shops around town have adopted a spookier characterization, and Halloween is bigger than Christmas around here. I might have been worried about the increased tourism, given this town's affinity for attracting danger, but the weird has made its way into the public consciousness. Quite a few people are aware of it now and are doing a fine job at keeping everything a secret. Everyone who doesn't know has gotten quite used to simply accepting that strange things just sort of happen all around Constance. It's, it's different than what I was accustomed to, but it's comforting. Rashida's doing well. 
had you told me back then that psychic detectives were a real profession, I would have laughed quietly to myself. Now I couldn't see her doing anything else. Her and one of her partners have been on the trail of some kind of boogeyman in Florida for a little while now. She tells me that it's the stuff of nightmares, but she also tells me that she's having a fantastic time, so... Oh, uh, the hodag doesn't really bother her anymore, curiously. When the mass was banished, it fell into a deep sleep. It hasn't needed to eat or anything, and hasn't disturbed Rashida's dreams in a long time. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, aside from writing the Good Neighbor series, I've been funding quite a few projects that the others have been working on. I haven't been able to move around too much since that fight, so I've largely been communicating with everyone over the phone or on these video calls. I, I, uh, I don't think Martin is coming back. I don't know if he can, but I haven't felt lonely in a long time. Uh, I miss him terribly, of course I do. But that hole in my heart was filled with some very, very dear friends. Who knows? Maybe I'll see him on the other side. Ah, but the books are not about me, are they? I don't really have an order in mind. Would any of my esteemed colleagues like to go first? I think that Beck, uh, as the de facto leader of the Bulwark, trains up all their new members, kind of keeps the whole thing going for a good while. They travel around trying to investigate other parts of the world where the veil used to be thinned to set up protective wards and to make sure that nothing else is going to get through. They send out small parties across the U.S. to hunt down any lingering monsters or cultists that might remain. And I think Beck does this for like 20 or 30 some years. Did the bulwark get like a shit ton bigger? I mean, it got bigger within the campaign when we recruited like 30 people. True. Uh, but I do, I do think it continues to grow. I don't think that Beck is as secretive as Chuck might have been. Mm -hmm. If I may interject there, I think mm -hmm. the devils work very closely with the Bulwark after mm -hmm. banishing the mass. Uh, I think they kind of view them as squares a little bit, but like there's a very like solid respect now. Um, I I think like. Loon makes weapons for the Bulwark, and I think, like, Bishop teaches a crime class for Bulwark <laughs> members of, like, here's Very how to nice. pick locks, here's how to hotwire cars, these are skills you might need to use. Here's uh, how to be cool. I think, uh, I think Magpie ends up kind of taking over the devils a little bit, but, uh, I think all of the devils are retired from fighting at this point. Like, Loon has a permanent walk, Magpie's hands are fucked up. Okay. Bishop is emotionally traumatized and physically traumatized. True. I think similarly, uh, Chuck retires shortly after the, the finale. Um, I think he, you know, when he feels confident that Beck can handle everything, he hands over uh, Legrand's protections to her. And I like to think that he just retires to the Colorado Rockies and builds a log cabin and has some dogs and I like to think that he gets to live peaceably and happy. Good for him. 
because Lee never killed him. So I was, now I was planning on it. You tried, motherfucker, but now he's happy. <laughs> I think that similarly, the bureau is eventually inherited by Wayetta. So I okay. think uh, for the next couple of years, Wayetta and Beck kind of continue their rivalry, but now as leaders of their different factions. And I think way later down the road, when Beck is in her late 40s, Wayetta, Wayetta comes to her to negotiate a truce in earnest. And finally convinces Beck to retire. Not because of any sort of ideology or for the sake of secrecy, but because she tells Beck that Beck is beginning to remind her of Hector. And that Beck is growing into someone who will sacrifice the things that make them happy and a person for the sake of doing the work. And even Wyetta knows that that's not who Beck is. So, finally, Beck lets go. She retires to Nantucket. She falls in love with a woman who captains a small ferry between Cape Cod and Nantucket. And the ferry is oh. called the Morning Blue. Yeah. They build a small house next to an abandoned lighthouse. Beck turns the lighthouse into her wizard tower. Incredible. She goes from being a PC to an NPC quest giver who advises newer adventurers from on top of her lighthouse. And for her last piece of big magic, enchants the lamp on top of the lighthouse to draw in supernatural forces that either need help or that need to be destroyed. And in the end, Beck Tui lives her life manning a beacon. Uh, it's so good. That's very, very I love good. It. I just love the idea that like maybe Bill's dad, who's still a lobster fisherman, occasionally takes the ferry that <laughs> uh, <laughs> your partner captains. I love it. Well, then we can let you go. And we find someone new for just a little bit. Who's up next? Um, gosh, I have a lot of notes, so I will do my best to be brief. Um, I think uh, Cassius's ability to move, like after we see... Cassius and June hug. I think Cassius like is able to walk out of the swamp, but no further. I think like the next we see of him, um, I think he's in the uh, hospital in like a full body cast. Uh, you can see that he's like kind of lost a lot of his twinkle in his eye. And uh, the doctors and nurses, I think that we like recruited over the time do their best to keep it a secret, but his injuries are like, far too severe and the, the supplies that he needs are too extensive for them to hide. So eventually they get found out um, and people start asking questions. Um, first it was like the doctors and the nurses. And then I think it starts to go to 
like the police get called in because a strange man shows up with like incredibly severe injuries who's been treated by people that he won't name um i think through all the uh like questions and stuff he can't speak and he's like i think his hand was severely broken so he can't write or anything either so he's like completely unable to communicate um but because of that the those questions slowly turn into like more serious questions and he ends up in court so i think we see him being wheeled in to court in his full body cast um uh i have a note in here that says uh it took a full five minutes to read through the list of charges a list which the constant times would later describe as the longest list of pitiful shenanigans which the court has had the disfortune of being subjected to um but because he was so badly injured and um like is this a televised event if it is it's on like c-span six it's like <laughs> it's like the localist of news um but Perfect. i think perhaps it gets like some traction on viral settings of just like look at this absolute doofus um i love it but There's some very unflattering courtroom sketch yeah, art yeah that goes around. of this broken man um yeah seriously uh i think he gets put out on bail i think chalamet pays it and i think everyone else like yeah. in town is like really confused by this uh they're like their relationship um <laughs> Uh, but I think after he's like released on bail, it's like a very depressive period for him because, uh, like when all of the questions started being asked and when his like f metaphysical ghosts started reoccurring, like all of the literal ghosts started showing up too. So like all of these people that he would con and like move on from whose unfinished business was him were suddenly able to follow and find him all of like a, a, a career wide like publicly televised ghost show worth of curses, demons and spirits who'd been looking for him. Now we're able to find him. And so I think he's just like bombarded by supernatural spirits that he like can't quite shut out. Um, and he's still unable to communicate. I think uh, in this time, I have a note that I think the Hodag reached out to him briefly, or I guess that probably wouldn't have happened if the Hodag was asleep then, huh? I mean, it for it affected Rashida for a little while in like dream format. Got you. So I think that's that was kind of how I was viewing it. Um, I think in my my concept is like that the Hodag reached out and offered to return the voice to him, but uh, I think Cassius knew that he couldn't. Like it's just it's not within its powers. But uh, I think we find Cassius standing at the like Hodag's door nonetheless. I don't. I think it takes either like Rashida or, or Chalamet or someone else. Uh, I think Gert reaches out to Rashida and she ends up saving him from that decision. But slowly, bit by bit, uh, I think uh, Dana I can, and Cassius... Yeah, what's up? I think I think June did. I think yeah. June is the expert in not making deals with things. Yeah, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I had in my notes that I wanted June to make a magic item that was a ring that when Cassius would use sign language, it would make a spectral hand to do the rest of the sign. That's really uh, cool. So I think maybe June shows up with that and talks Cassius off the ledge. And it's not the same as speaking. And obviously yeah. you can't use it to people who don't know about magic, but because mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to yeah, see anything. Exactly. But I like for that your a lot. closest friends who know about magic, Cassius mm -hmm. can now communicate better with them. Yeah. I think in that time, um, Cassius and Dana being the people that like interact most frequently since Cassius is still living in her apartment. Um, 
I think she sits with him a lot when he's like being bombarded by these spirits at night and slowly bit by bit they learn to communicate through sign language like in broken bits because I think what like his normal real hand I think is quite badly injured still so that doesn't work quite well but I think with June's help on that thing he's like gives him yeah I think it, it helps him get out of that dark place um but anyway um they end up going to trial uh I think most of the th cases get dropped just because they're very expensive to litigate Sorry. yeah exactly um but in the end with Dana's help as an interpreter and like help from people in the community. Um, I think he's able to like get it down to five years. Uh, I don't think I, I, I want to emphasize that. I think Cassius's luck is pretty much fully run out. He's not getting off scot-free. So I think he ends up in prison without anyone that he can really talk to. Um, I think he spends a lot of time with the ghosts there but ends up getting out on good behavior a little bit early. Um, and at that point, I think we see Dana picking him up from the prison and driving him to the old storage facility. Um, I think we flash back to... No, go ahead. You know? Unless you had any other thoughts on that, I don't think that there's really any way in hell that there wouldn't be like a big party. Yeah. Facility when, when Cassius gets out, where everyone meets back up that would be, be awesome i really like that i had this constant so like I, in the finale thing there was like that moment where he was like i want to go talk to the to uh to delaney and in my mind i think at that point he talked to him about how like Delaney's going to have to move on to find the next flint um and how like someone's going to need to take over the storage facility um so i think yeah when he gets out uh he ends up like unlocks the gate and everyone's there um uh, I think, yeah, I think it's like a big party to like help clean up the storage facility too. Cause I think, mm -hmm. I think, um, Lewis has been trying his best to maintain it. Just being like one of the few people that is around and like free. Um, but I yeah. think he's, he still has a lot of and kind of understood on. Flint's madness. Exactly. So I think he's done his best, yeah. but he's not like, can't, he's still in school and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, all, all of the good neighbors kind of in my mind, work together to clean up the storage facility. Um, they, like, cover the bare fences. Um, I have this little uh, vignette about uh, a kid being, like, arrested and brought to jail and, like, harassed by the cops. And then Cassius sweeps in with Dana and, uh, like, negotiates with the cops to get the kid out and uh, brings him to back to the storage facility and shows him everyone and, like, takes him back uh, and I think when they get there, it's like after we've cleaned it all up and it's like some time has passed. Um, and I think we sort of like pan up and there's a sign over the gate that reads O'Hare Productions. Um, and I think he takes the kid past that, like past low grade film sets and stuff, uh, past a man named Jake uh, on his way to his trailer who pats him on the shoulder with a script. Uh, <laughs> Pepper that one in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that the, the Flintsville storage container has been like one of Cassius's little refuges because the, the ghosts can't get to him there. Um, so oh, I love that. So he's able to like take space there and slowly, bit by bit, he like speaks to the ghosts and resolves the things that he needs to resolve. And like one by one, the ghosts slowly fade off into the ether. Um, and 
yeah um i think more or less that's there's one more thing but more or less that's the last that we see of cassius is at the storage facilities with the uh um with all the friends bringing a new kid into the fold and showing him that there is a safe place there i think we see the bulwark using it as a training ground perhaps same thing with the devils um and Sorn, yeah. can you can you speak to the box office success of the fomenting and the levy momentarily film uh is it any oscar buzz did it take no, no oscar buzz it it it's it's one of those like a24 kind of things where they're like <laughs> it's like it's got a cult following um but uh you know it was sort of like low-key you know it's a jake gyllenhaal film you know this is not this is not gonna be netflix big thing this is going to this is going to sundance uh and and some some i think say that perhaps it was too intelligent for sundance um <laughs> it's too too nuanced for for even the artsy crowd um, punishingly complicated yeah punishingly convoluted yeah exactly exactly um the last thing i have is i think about like 30 years down the line there is a 50 year anniversary reunion of antiques horror show uh and it's a like <laughs> that my notes say the easiest way to understand this bizarre and often deeply uncomfortable three hour long special is to read the newspaper clippings that data cut out to show bill slash caches uh so i have a lot of little newspaper snippets if you guys want to hear them but it might be excessive um i'll go through a few you let me know i'll go through the first one all right all the jubilance left the room when Cassius was introduced, and instead of a charismatic everyman we once knew, an old crumpled amputee shuffled out. His suit appeared to be the very same he wore 50 years ago by the holes and stitchings. For three hours, he didn't speak a word, signaling to a young interpreter and stroking a frankly alarming looking doll. This man is clearly not well, and I don't understand why he was given three hours of unedited public television, nor do I understand why Jake Gyllenhaal gave him a standing ovation. That's Forbes. <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect cut. Uh, there's one more Great. thing I want to say. As this uh, televised thing goes down in history, no one really sees him after that except for a few people who uh, claim that they see him speaking at the end of the dock in deep council with oh, the God. Lobster King. Fucking Christ. In the moonlit bay. <laughs> in the moonlit bay. For long hours into the night, where it stood. <laughs> he communicates with the sovereign of the sea, joined sometimes by the renowned, the renowned monster hunters, June, Beck, and Jake Chillenhall. His world has become something he could never have imagined before. All the blood, pain, and magic, his world now has a home and some very, very good neighbors. Anyone have anything they want to tack on? Uh, June can teleport anywhere, so I do like to think that June would teleport into Cassius's cell. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Just, just to, like, keep him company, like, late at I night. Really like I think that. June would occasionally bring Dana or occasionally bring back and, like, 
June would go by themselves and just sit with Cassius or, or talk a bit. Um, That's for sure. Great. Everyone in the prison thinks they're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hear. That's other voices. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining Cassius's cellmate like sobbing in the corner yeah. <laughs> and no one believing them. <laughs> they keep coming in here. I don't know how they get in. Uh, I also like the idea that maybe June or Beck make a cameo on the anniversary special. Or like Lewis produces it as like a does it like a te sound tech or something. Oh yeah, he's a film student, so he yeah. would absolutely want to be in the industry. They're they're like relating some ghost story that's tied to an antique, and June and Beck uh, are part of like the live reenactment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like yes. Very terrible <laughs> actors in different ways. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great! I love, love that. it. Well then, Cassius, it's time to let you go. Who's up next? I think Flint should go last, so June will go. I can respect that. Uh, I think June uh, is pretty emotionally... Uh, unhinged after the finale june uh pretty much went full monster and was like ripping human beings apart and eating them and stuff uh i mean they were evil cultists but still um that does stuff I, to your psyche i i think june went to back shortly after that and was really distraught and and had a bit of a breakdown and said uh that they don't think they can fight anymore that uh their their battle's done um june is terrified that if they uh do more monster hunting that james will fully take over uh and i think beck kind of helps coach june through uh, those issues and enlist June's help with uh, training the bulwark, which is something that they had talked about before, and June had been hesitant to do, but um, takes Beck up on that. I think Beck tells June that nobody that loves them would ever ask them to fight again, and that it's okay to take it sleazy. <clears throat> and I think they probably go on, like, a camping trip or something so they can mm -hmm. both like clear their heads and hit the ground running when they get back. And I think June is like a good teacher. I think June takes it really seriously. And, um, you know, that's kind of what June did with the devils when they formed the devils. So I think June gets really invested with the, the bulwark and the fact that the devils are spending more time there now too is, uh, I think important to June. Um, I already talked about the Cassius stuff I had. Uh, June makes a ring to help Cassius communicate with sign language better. And uh, I didn't know Cassius was going to go to prison, but I like the idea of June showing <laughs> yeah, up yeah. Uh, occasionally uh, and like bringing bringing contraband, uh, you know, <laughs> like br bringing some like beers and stuff. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I think. Uh, Oh, and I, I talk here about uh, June being, uh, like, really into the idea of helping Cassius, Cassius make sense of the storage locker. 
yeah. um, as much as June can help with that. You know, deciphering mm-hmm. ancient texts and deciphering yeah. uh, like a lot of the magical stuff Flint was investigating. June gets into that as well. I think there's maybe like a really nice cot with June's name on it in the storage unit when they need to. June can't enter it. Oh, right. Damn. In a different yeah. storage unit then. We have the whole facility now. <laughs> Nothing's off Fair limits. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was inherited to you yeah. or passed bequeathed to you by a ghost. Yeah. We'll we'll build an annex <laughs> for June. Uh I, I think after a good ten years or so, June starts getting really restless. Um as much as June knows that they like can't get in the thick of things anymore, sending out members of the bulwark to go do the fighting and, um, you know, kind of that directly helping people, that sense of adventure, June misses it a lot. And they also know that sooner or later, the new Flint is going to enter the world. So I think June kind of takes it on themselves to begin traveling, uh, looking for Flint's reincarnation. And I think as June is questing around, they come across late at night uh, a young person, middle teenage years, uh, at a crossroads, digging a hole. And they're going to put components in it to try and summon some sort of creature to make a deal. This kid is stressed out. They're at the end of the rope. And I think June interrupts them and listens to them and talks with them and uh offers them a better solution and brings them back to constance Mm. and i think as june is traveling around looking for flint they keep finding runaways and young Mm. people at the end of the rope like june was and june just listens to them and then helps them in whatever material way june can um and I think a big part of that is providing a home in Constance, whether it's with uh, the Devils, the Bulwark, or Cassius's storage facility. And just like hooking these young people up with communities that they can get plugged into and get the help they need. And I think as June is traveling the country doing that, slowly this legend begins to form around uh, the Saint of the Crossroads. Hmm. and uh i think with each retelling it gets a little bigger and a little grander and slowly but surely this legend grows even beyond like queer runaway circles and it like enters the mainstream i think years years in the future we see a figure in a long black coat the light of a cigarette briefly illuminating a weary face the saint of a cross the Saint of the Crossroads is a new cryptid alongside the likes of Mothman and Bloody Mary. Legend has it that if you're desperate and at wit's end, and if you can find them, they might just be able to help you find a place where you belong. Uh, I, like I do th- I do think someday uh, June finds Flint, but I think that's uh, for Matt to, to talk about. Uh, one question. Sure. Because uh, uh, I do want to know. Did we ever learn what happened to the Baron? Um, I think the Baron is someone who can no longer directly cause trouble. Uh, but I think they took a lesson out of James Pale's book. Uh, they they used one of his methods where 
the Baron begins looking for an avatar uh, to cause trouble and do direct action for him. And I think after finding an avatar, the Baron slowly works on getting a team together because uh, he saw how powerful uh, a team was. So I think the Baron can't, cannot directly interfere anywhere, but that doesn't mean his influence is totally gone. Duly noted. Um, yeah, and I already talked about the Devils. Uh, I think they're pretty involved with the Bulwark. I think Magpie takes over leadership. I think Loon, uh, who was the the second best of the Devils with magic, like Loon could have been Pale's agent, but Loon wasn't as emotionally damaged as June. So I think Loon really takes learning magic well. Um, I think Bishop has a nice day. Fucking finally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what did I do to Bishop? Blew out their everything eyes, to cracked Bishop. their head yeah. against this bus. Yeah, I really tried to kill Bishop for some yeah. reason. Were they the one who snapped their leg back against their thigh? That was Loon. Oh, okay. So spread I did spread around a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Kind of just it tried to kill everyone, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think at the end of the day for June their their legacy is someone who uh did not want to be alive they weren't going to directly take their own life or something but they had very little regard for their own health and safety and um had very bad coping mechanisms and uh they were kind of cursed with this immortality and are now trying to sort out how to live with that how to handle eternity and progressing forward with uh the weight of living and i think the way they they find to deal with that is helping other damaged young people find a place where they belong um i think they visit the lighthouse a lot um and i think they visit uh cassius a lot when they can but they've uh committed themselves to this wandering now around uh unpleasant places in America for very specifically young queer people. Does anyone want to add anything on the end? I think anytime Beck comes across some sort of like tchotchke or like roadside attraction, keychain, votive candle, anything that has to do with the Saint of the Crossroads. They always, like, mail it to June or give it to them whenever they stop by, I guess, because they're nomadic, because they think it's so funny. Uh, and, yeah. I do think June hates it. I think June <laughs> hates the name. I, I think, think June... that's precisely why yeah. Beck is so into <laughs> June hates the fucking name. Uh, they do not want to be a saint. Um, <laughs> their whole thing is that, like, no, you should not be making deals at Crossroads. Uh, but, like, the legend has, you know, like, twisted it into, you know, if you say their name three times and you bury something at the Crossroads, then, you know, the figure will appear. And June is like, no, goddammit, stop doing that. All Don't I play did with Ouija boards. this satanic punk aesthetic my entire life. For you guys to canonize me like this. This is not fair. I do think Cassius tries to do that summoning ritual many times. Not quite understanding <laughs> how magic works. He's like, I don't get it. 
<laughs> Cassius, who could psychically reach out yeah. to June at any moment. <laughs> like, I thought I, I, I just thought it was the thing. I thought it was your thing. He says with sign language. <sighs> he's, I think he still has okay. the accent. It's in his face. Yeah, you can tell. Okay. Well, that's it for the ones who lived. For the one who didn't, I ask you once again, what is your legacy? Those that knew him obviously never forgot him. But the rest of the world did. As quickly as old man O'Hare blew into Constance, he disappeared. Some of the town knew what he gave, but most didn't. Yet, know his name or not, ripples of Flint's life echoed outwards. Hector... Hector vanished from the Bureau. It's... not certain where he is at this point, but... Monsters have been found apprehended in violent but no longer cruel ways. And leads on who apprehended them are usually swept under the rug. Lewis moved forward in his studies. Now funded by Dr. Chalamet, uh, he eventually became a famous writer and a director in cinema. And he kept an idea of Flint's. Within his movies, there's hints at the truth of the world, and they become uh, almost secret ways of communicating throughout the supernatural community. Delaney, no, um, Ocean vanished immediately after that night. Most likely looking for the next Finn McCool. Although the most notable contribution by Mr. O'Hare would have to be the largest and most comprehensive library of the supernatural known to man. Unfortunately, half of it is either written in code, out of order, scribbled on napkins, recorded on archaic devices that he doesn't seem to have the right chargers for, and it will most likely take decades to decipher. That's everything then? Yeah, I'd say so. That's all I could find. Sounds about right. June went on a bit about how you hijacked an airplane in the 70s, but I didn't think it yep. was important to record. It's not. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Good. Good. I'll get started on this final chapter then. I think I'm finally ready to let them go. Okay, everyone. 
this is, well and truly, the last time we see these characters. Does anyone have anything they want to say to them? Or our listeners, or anything else? You know, Lee, you say this is the last time you see these characters, but there's still room for an animated special and holidays <laughs> and holiday specials. Four episodes away from 69. <laughs> Shame. So close. Um, playing June was uh, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Uh, this character meant a whole lot to me and uh it was great to be on this cast so uh lee thank you for the opportunity and Seriously. uh soren matt and anna thank yeah. you so much for playing this game with me uh i you loved know, telling i first story started with this uh all of you whole thing i'd never played monster of the week before so i had no idea what to expect truly um and it's just been such an incredible like experience learning both the game and like learning the dynamics of our group and everything. And it, I'm really glad that this is like the cast and uh, showrunner that we were lucked out to have. So thank you all for being a really great community, both you guys working on it and those of you who are listening. Yeah. Anyone who listens or talks about the show online or through Twitter or the book of faces or whatever it is that you use, I, it's surreal every single time and everyone gushes over it. And that's been so strange and so wonderful. So thanks a lot for that. Yeah, anytime I see someone say something nice about the show on Twitter, I screenshot it and I send it to a group chat. So, seriously. Um, it, seriously. It brightens my day every time you do that. I I hope you know. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's talked about the show, who's tweeted about it and um it yeah, it it truly truly touched us every single time we saw it. So, thank you. Yeah. I also want to say I'm I've been building my character for the next camp long campaign mm -hmm. and I am very excited. I have three weird ideas that I got to run by late. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm loving what I'm seeing so far guys. Yeah. I'm very excited for my new character as well. Uh, can we give Ronnie a thank you and a shout out? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Holy shit. He elevates the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Really, really took Seriously. us to the next level of like quality here, and also to be honest, I probably wouldn't have done it if Roddy, we didn't have Roddy. I tried yeah. editing for like ten minutes, and it fucking sucks. So thank you, Ronnie, for getting us out on the yeah. world. Honestly. Yeah, honestly, um, big kiss. Along with mentioning Roddy, uh, I'm going to mention the Patreon. Uh, there's some really cool stuff yes. that we're putting up there. Um, Oh, yeah. I put the June character Bible on there. It's all the notes when I made the character. Uh, some of it made it into the show. A lot of it got changed or didn't. And uh, I also submitted audio talking through my process of what made it and what didn't and uh, mm. why stuff got cut. So if that's something you're interested in, that's up there. We're working on Bad Neighbors right now, which is something that Lee is heading up. Lee, do you want to talk about Bad Neighbors? Yeah, yeah. I uh, hope y'all like it. I, I'm doing a little kind of how-to, or ba like a basically like a little monster manual uh, about the monsters that came into Constance. Uh, we call it Bad Neighbors, which 
sounds a little horny, I know, but it's not. Uh, wink. Don't don't wink. You think okay, that getting ahead of it is If I can't gonna... wink, then I'll wank. Stop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it includes uh, the concept of how how you know, the vibe you should try to curate when you're playing it. Uh, uh, the stats, uh, tips on how to use its various things uh, in a way that builds drama in an effective way. Uh, but of course, you know, it's your game. So if you want to switch them, by all means, do so. I just wanted to kind of show you what's up. And it has some some lovely, lovely art coming to you from Anna. So uh, it's Seriously. very, very cool. The art is very so good. cool looking. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So if you play Monster of the Week and you want to incorporate monsters from our show, uh, Leah's writing up really handy stuff to to do that. And even if you don't play Monster of the Week, but you want to learn more about what happens behind the GM screen, uh, the, the keeper wall. Uh, I think it's really cool to, to see your notes, Lee. So some really cool Thank stuff you. on the Patreon. If you want to join, get all of the goodies and then quit, I won't hold that against you. I'm not your dad and I'm not a cop, but uh, if you want to help support us, it means a lot. Truly does. Okay. Also then. check out all the other shows on Where They May Radio. <laughs> Yeah, it's really cool that we got picked up by a network. Okay, everyone. I want us to try and do this in sync. I want to say thanks for playing. Okay? We can try. Everyone, everyone ready? I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. Thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. If, we, if we can get that, uh, that rhythm together, <laughs> we got it. Fuckers. <laughs> we are... We are fully grown adults. We can do this. I know if the lag fucks us up, I excuse it. But otherwise, we can do it. All right. One, two, three. Thank you for playing. Thanks for playing. Wait, wait, wait. Let's try it again. I have an idea. I did my best. (laughs) I nailed it. Ronnie, just cut and sink it. That's... That's not the point. <laughs> that was the joke I was going to do is when Lee got to three, I was going to go, wait, can't Ronnie just cut and sink us all? <laughs> but I want I want all of our like rhythm to be the yeah, same. Yeah. Alright. One more Let's try again. One, two, three. Thanks, Thanks for, for playing. playing. A Ooh. sonic <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> Don't edit any of this out. This all makes the last cut. Yeah. We oh, got a Q and A coming up. Send us your questions. Oh, God, yeah. Take two. One, two, three. Thanks, Thanks for, for playing. playing. Oh, my God. Whoa. Okay, bye. Bye. Kiss, <laughs> kiss. <laughs>
uh, June doesn't age physically, so they look very much the same. I think they have a couple more scars added to the collection, um, and I think they look very tired, but uh, they have the uh, iconic long black coat of the Saint of the Crossroads on, and uh, as they appear out of thin air, uh, they stop to catch their breath and they light up a cigarette. Okay. Do you go to the house? Uh, yeah, I think... I think June has a look of apprehension. Um... But they uh, slowly approach the the front door and they go to give it a knock. Takes a second. The old wood creaks a bit, and the door opens. And Matt, what do we say? You see, a child couldn't be older than ten. Uh, incredibly pale skin, dotted with freckles everywhere messy curly reddish blonde hair uh, front tooth missing but what catches you is the eyes the eyes are a bluish gray and they look old like far too old for a child this young and they look up with you and they give you a smile and all they say is Hi, June. And the camera closes out. We fade into darkness. 